reading Psalm 67. I'll be reading from the NIV version, and you can also you can open your Bibles, follow along me, or you can look on the screen also behind me. Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Then the land will yield its harvest, and God, our God, will bless us. God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. This is the word of the Lord. I invite Pastor Sam to come and preach. Well, thanks, Stanley, for the uh, scripture reading this evening. It's great to be with you guys here, Church at Five. On a Sunday evening, I've been here since early this morning for the morning service and had the pleasure of sticking around here in town and now uh, joining you guys for the evening congregation, the evening service. And it's, it's always a joy to, to be in the Lord's house on the Lord's day. And that's uh, sort of what we've been talking about. If you've been here the last uh, two Sundays, after finishing off our previous series here at Church at Five, we've had like a mini series here where we've been looking at the Psalms. And the Psalms that we've been looking at, I don't know if that sort of occurred to you as, um, as we read the, the, the Psalms last week and the week before and even tonight, that the Psalms that we've been looking at have kind of been giving us or helping us to see the shape or the pattern of worship, the shape or the pattern of worship. So let me just, if that's sort of uh, new to you or you didn't pick up on that, um, let me just give you a brief recap. Two Sundays ago, we opened with Psalm 15. Two Sundays ago, we opened with Psalm 15, in which David begins that psalm by asking the question, and it's a, it's a serious question, it's an important question, Lord, says David, who may dwell in your sacred tent, your tabernacle? Who may live on your holy mountain? That's Psalm 15, verse 1. In other words, David's question is, who can enter into and remain in your temple, your presence? Who can come and worship you, God? And we saw that this question is one that, that rightly asks itself every time we hear the call to worship. Today, Stanley led us in the call to worship, speaking on behalf of Almighty God, calling His people together to say, come into my presence now and worship me. And this is a question that should, that should be at the back of our minds. Every time we hear the call to worship, the call to gather with God's people in His presence, in His sanctuary to worship Him. Who may come into the presence of the Lord and worship Him? We saw that the only way, we saw from Psalm 15 and then helping us understand Psalm 15, we went to the book of Hebrews, we saw that the only way, the only way to stand in God's presence and worship Him is by having holiness. We don't have that in and of ourselves, but Jesus Christ has made us holy and therefore, says Hebrews 10, we shouldn't shrink back from God's worship, from His presence, from His sanctuary and be lost, but placing our faith in Christ, we should confidently enter into His presence. So you could think of it this way, Psalm 15, we looked at the call to worship, this idea of going up to the house of the Lord to worship. Worship is only possible, though, because Christ has made us holy and Christ has opened the way into the holy of holies. So that was sort of coming up to the house of the Lord to worship, the call to worship. And then last Sunday, we opened up Psalm 100 and saw how Psalm 100 teaches us about the nature of true worship. Once we've arrived in the house of the Lord, once we've heard the call to worship, we're in His presence, what does true worship 
look like? What heart attitude should we have? What should characterize our worship? And we saw from Psalm 100, that short, sweet, old 100th, that true worship is joyful. It's God-honoring, and it comes from a grateful heart, that it means we're thankful. We're to worship God with joyful songs, we're to honor Him, to know that he, the Lord is our God, and we're to give thanks to Him with a grateful heart. And so in Psalm 100, we, we looked at the heart of the true worshiper, the, the atmosphere of true worship, the content of true worship. We saw that joyful songs are to be normative for Christian worship. Christian worship should be uh, an atmosphere where we experience joy, honor, and gratitude to God. So, having come into the house of the Lord, into His presence, um, on the basis of Christ's finished work, having learned about true worship, today we complete the, the triad. And this evening I want to look with you at the blessing and benediction where the pattern of worship continues and we're now sent out of the house of the Lord, down from the sanctuary into the world. So that's been our little mini psalm series here at Church at Five this summer, going up to the house of the Lord, being in His presence and worshiping with His people, and now this evening going down out of the sanctuary, being blessed and what that means for us. And the message tonight, and I hope that as, you, as I say that, I can see that the text is still up on the screen behind me, that you might be able to sort of sort of have an inkling already from the first couple of lines of this psalm, how that might fit in. The message tonight is entitled, Worship-Shaped World, Worship-Shaped World, and, and the name of the message is the name of the game, Worship-Shaped World. As, as Christians, as worshipers of the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we want, don't we? We want, that's, that's my desire, that should be our desire that what we long for and therefore work towards is we want a worship-shaped world. We want the whole of the world in which we live to be shaped by the worship of the one true God, to be shaped by the true worship of the one true God. And I think I mentioned it in passing last week when we looked at Psalm 100. There's a text there that says, shout for joy all the earth, that mission exists. Christian mission exists because worship doesn't. There are people on this planet who don't yet have the true worship of the true God, and therefore mission exists to spread true worship to the ends of the earth. And I want to show you this evening from Psalm 67, worship is how God is shaping and winning the world. Worship is how God is shaping and winning the world to Himself, to Christ. So worship-shaped world. So let's dive right into our psalm for this evening, Psalm 67. Again, we've got a short psalm, this time a couple more verses, seven verses, in three parts, and we're going to focus, um, we're going to put the main focus this evening on those first two verses, one and two, which are really the key to understanding this psalm. So here's point number one, also entitled Worship Shape World, and to help us get into the point, let's, let's read those first two verses again. May God be gracious to us and bless us. And make his face to shine on us, so that your ways may be known on earth, on earth, your salvation amongst all the nations. Now, look carefully and closely, if you will, at these two verses. What do we read? So this is a psalm, it's from the book of worship of the ancient people of God, the, the Israelites. The psalmist is a member of the people of God, he's praying. He's calling on, he's asking God to be gracious, to be merciful to his people. May God be gracious to us. 
He's asking God to bless the people of God so that, why should God be gracious and blessed? So that God's ways might be known in all the earth, so that God's salvation might be known amongst all the nations. That little phrase there, so that, if you've got the ESV, it just says that, but it's no difference. We're talking here about causality. In other words, the first thing is the cause of the second. Again, the psalmist is praying, God, bless your people, and if you do that, if you, God, bless your people, that will cause this world to know and be shaped by your ways. That will cause all the nations to enter your salvation. But maybe that sounds, I mean, causality, it's sort of a word that you often associate with arguments of logic, but I don't know if that to you sounds illogical. Certainly, I think for, um, if we're just, you know, in normal conversation as Christians, are maybe after church or having a conversation about mission, then what we read here is almost like a non sequitur. It doesn't really follow. I think I'd be, if somebody asked me, Sam, how do we, how do we spread the, the knowledge and the salvation of God to the ends of the earth? Then I would more like, I'd be more likely to say something like this um, and pray something like this. God, give us many missionaries call many to full-time mission work so that the nations will be saved. But that's not what this psalm says. That's not what this psalm says. The argument instead is this, God, you be gracious to and bless your people, bless the church, and that will lead to the nations being saved and knowing your ways. And that's, that, should, um, that should excite us. We should be interested to, to see here what's going on here. Now, of course, what Paul says in Romans 10 is correct. Faith comes by hearing the word, and how shall they believe if no one takes the word to them? So I'm not saying this is some mystical thing where if God just blesses us really, really something bad here in Freiburg, then suddenly people around the other side of the world will just suddenly come to faith. That's not what I'm saying. But the psalm is taking things a level deeper here. It's taking things a level deeper. And we wanna look at what's going on here. So, did verse one, did verse one sound familiar to you? May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Does that sound familiar to you? It should sound familiar to you. I can see some nods, that's encouraging. Because this verse one is part of the priestly blessing from Numbers, that's the fourth book of Moses, Numbers chapter six, verse 22. It's a blessing that we use to this day when blessing the people of God at the end of our corporate worship the end of the service. We can read it together now. This is Numbers 6 and verse 22 and following. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, they were the priests, this is how you're to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. So just from looking very briefly here at number six, we see from the context, this blessing was used then in the same way it's used now, used today. It's used for the blessing of the gathered people of God, so the Israelites, when they come together, the Lord is telling Moses, say to the priest, this is how you're to bless the people. But let's grab two comments from the commentators on this priestly blessing to help us understand what's going on in Psalm 67. So here are two comments referring to this priestly blessing, all right? Two comments. So referring to 
um, this idea of putting my name on the Israelites, putting God's name on the Israelites, one commentator writes this, he says this, quote, the name Yahweh carries with it the covenantal promise of God's divine presence with his people, end quote. The name Yahweh carries with it the covenantal promise of God's divine presence with his people. And then referring to the whole section, another commentator writes this, quote, the blessing of number six is focused on the faithful, unified community of God's people with the presence of God in the tabernacle as center. I'll say that again, the blessing of number six is focused on the faithful, unified community of God's people with the presence of God in the tabernacle, the holy place, as center, end quote. All right, now they sound perhaps like typical theological comments from theological commentaries, but so let's get the cash out. What is actually, what's actually the meat of these statements? What, are we, what can we take away from them? Well, basically what these commentators are pointing to is when it comes to this high priestly blessing of number six, the context is corporate worship. Uh, the, the people of God is a worshiping community together. So translating it into our day, to this season of the history of the people of God, the church as a worshiping community. Look around you right now, that's what we are. We're a worshiping community. And this blessing is spoken to that faithful community of God's people in God's presence at the tabernacle, at the place of God's presence where he's worshiped, in the house of the Lord. That's the first thing. So this, is, this blessing has to do with corporate worship, coming together as the Lord's people and being blessed in that sense. And secondly, there's the idea of covenant here. That was one of the comments, right? That the, 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 the idea of putting God's name on the people, his covenant name is meant, Yahweh. You can re, you'll remember that in Hebrew, there are two words we could say for God. There's Elohim, you probably heard of that one, Elohim, and there's also Yahweh. And to keep it very simple, Elohim, in a sense, refers to God in his godness, as the sort of the creator um, of the universe, God as God. But Yahweh is God's name. Yahweh is God's name. It's the name that um, God reveals to Moses at the burning bush. When Moses says, all right, I've had this encounter in the desert and I go back to my people, who should I tell them that I ran into? Who should I tell, you, tell them that I encountered? And God reveals his covenant name, Yahweh, at that point. So Yahweh is God's name, how he reveals himself to his people. So let's draw it together. The idea is that every time we gather together as God's people to worship God, so that includes right now, tonight, this church at five, every time we follow God's call to worship, one aspect of what we're doing here tonight is that we remember God's covenant with us, that God is, He's not just the distant creator, but He is our covenant God. We are His covenant people. And we heard that. We heard that last Sunday from Psalm 100, and it's a beautiful line. Remember that Psalm 100 where it says, know that the Lord is God. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. That's talking about relationship, covenant relationship, that, that God is our God. And so what Psalm 67 is doing is it's riffing off this theme of corporate worship and blessing from Numbers 26. It's riffing off this theme, 
It's a deliberate quote in the first line of the psalm of Numbers, 20, of Numbers chapter 6 in order that everybody who reads the psalm would be thinking, ah, that's Numbers 26. And what's Numbers 26? Ah, that's when the people of God come together and worship and are blessed by their covenant God. That's what's going on. That's what we're to think about when we read Psalm 67. We're thinking, ah, this is happening. This psalm is being sung. This psalm is being prayed in the context of the blessing on God's people gathered together in his presence to worship him. So again, two weeks ago, call to worship. Last week, the content of true worship. Tonight, we're looking at that blessing, that benediction as we get sent back out of the tabernacle into the world. So what are we saying? Let me draw together this first point um, <clears throat> and, and, and sort of say, what can we take with us from this point? What am, I, what am I saying? Well, I said it in the introduction. Worship is how God is shaping and winning the world to himself, the nations. So Psalm 67, riffing off this theme, is saying the people of God, as they come together, as we come together, as you come together here, in worship and you encounter God, you are shaped by that worship, including tonight. This is not an abstract thing. We're not here, this is not a lesson. I'm not giving you a seminar. I'm not giving you a teaching. We are come into the presence of God and we are, being, and we are encountering God. And we are being shaped tonight and every time we come together by our worship. And as such, we are receiving the blessing of God to empower us to live according to God's ways and to share God's heart. That's what this psalm is, is telling us. In other words, this is key. See if you can remember this. True worship precedes right living. I wanted to say true living, sort of make it match up, but it doesn't really make that much sense. So I'll say it this way again. True worship precedes, goes before right living. This is something really crucial that we want to understand. It's not that you pull yourselves up by your own moral bootstraps to attain to some level of right living and then, okay, you're, you're good enough, now you can come and worship God. No, no, no. It's when we worship God truly, and just recall again, this is all, all the time, this is in the background, when we worship God truly, that is we come confidently into his presence, relying on the holiness that Christ has given us, and we worship him with joyful hearts, gratitude, honoring him. It's when we worship God truly, that shapes us and transforms us. And that's what leads us to right living. When we worship truly, that's what transforms us and shapes us and changes us so that we live rightly, so that we obey God's word, but not only that, so that we share God's heart for the nations, so that we share God's heart for the nations. But just sticking with that thought for a moment of, of being transformed by worship, listen to these two verses from 2 Corinthians in light of what I've just said and in light of verse one of our psalm, make his face to shine on us. Second Corinthians 3.18, and then immediately after, 2 Corinthians 4.6. So 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says this, he says, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate, that is look at the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 
And then 4 verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. That's just typical Paul. You know, two verses, you'd probably need a 10-week sermon series to unpack it all. Crazy. But let's just get one point straight for tonight. What's, what's going on here? When we contemplate the Lord's glory, which, as we learn, is displayed in the face of Jesus Christ, so when we focus on contemplating the, the glory of Jesus, which is worship, then we are being transformed. We're being transformed. And what are we being transformed? We're being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, who himself is the image of eternal God, says Colossians. So again, true worship, coming into the the corporate worship of the people of God and being transformed as we worship, as we look upon our Lord's glory, that's what transforms us, that's what shapes us, that's what goes before right living. And the blessing here in Psalm 67 simply calls to mind the end of that worship service, the the idea of being sent back out of the tabernacle and into the world, having been transformed, which of course is a process ongoing, Sunday for Sunday, year by year. That's how the kingdom of God works. It's like a seed that starts off small and it slowly grows to become the greatest tree in the garden. It's not like some kind of magic seed where it just You put it in a pot and you put in some water and it suddenly becomes Jack and the Beanstalk. It's a process. And a blessing, so again, the blessing here in Psalm 67 simply calls this to mind. The end of the corporate worship service, we've been transformed by by, um, contemplating the Lord's glory. We're now being sent back out of the tabernacle into the world. And according to uh, Warren Wiersbe, a famous Bible teacher, a faithful and humble man, he says, blessing is a gift from God that glorifies his name, helps his people, and through them reaches out to help others who will then in turn glorify his name. I'll say that again. Blessing is a gift from God that glorifies his name, helps his people, and through them reaches out to help others who will then in turn glorify his name. God blesses us, he says, so that we might be a blessing to others. God loves to bless us. Just think about that for a moment. God loves to bless you here, that you might be a blessing to others. And if Wiersbe is right, that blessing is a gift that glorifies God's name and helps his people, then God blesses us by shaping us through worship to reflect his glory and share his heart. That's part of how God blesses us by shaping us through worship that we might more reflect Him and His glory, but also share His heart. So, that was, uh, that was these first two verses, that we, we desire a worship-shaped world. We are shaped by worship, and we want the whole world to be shaped by worship. And that brings us to these next three verses and having God-shaped hearts. You see, as we're transformed, not only are we transformed to live rightly, but we're transformed to share God's heart. And so we want to have God-shaped hearts. Let's read these next verses. So having been blessed out of the covenant worship service, 
The psalmist now says, he prays, verse three, may the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. This is the prayer. I don't know, I don't know how you feel as you hear that prayer, whether you can make that your prayer, but in effect, it should be your prayer. This is the prayer of the people of God, shaped by the worship of God and blessed by God to be a blessing to others. This is the prayer of the people of God, shaped by the worship of God and blessed by God to be a blessing to others. Again, mission exists because worship doesn't. But we can flip it around too. Worship, true worship drives mission. True worship drives mission. True worshipers love to see the spread of true worship. They love to see others blessed with the knowledge of the true God. They love to see others blessed with salvation from Jesus Christ, life in the Spirit, a living hope, and unceasing joy. As such, true worshipers show themselves to have God's God-shaped hearts because they have they desire what God desires. They have his heart for the nations. When God looks at you this evening, when God looks at me this evening, then this is something that can encourage us so much. The light of his face shines upon us. That was verse one. You can know that here. The light of God's face shines upon you personally tonight. Even though we're sinners, we learned two weeks ago, God's face can shine upon us because he is gracious to us, merciful to us in Jesus Christ. So that's great. We wanna be encouraged by that truth. But we see here that in verse three, the perspective changes. So having been in the context of the worship of God's people in the tabernacle, now the psalmist, having been encouraged and blessed by God's grace and God's blessing and God's love for him and for God's people, the view now opens up, though, to the whole world, to all the nations. And so we see here, we're not just to be concerned about our own lives or even the life of our own church as the expression of God's people in this place, but we're to have a heart, a God-shaped heart for the whole world. And again, the way we receive this heart is by being transformed through true worship. And the prayer here, the prayer of the psalmist is that all the people of the earth would share in the worship of the true God. I want us to see that. See how, see how connected worship is with mission. The prayer here is that all the people of the earth should share in the worship of the true God, should be full of the joy of the Lord. So connected to this desire is the certainty that God, and we wanna take this on board tonight, God will not overlook or forget any nation or people. God, our God will not overlook or forget any nation or people. This is a Psalm for the nations, Psalm 67. God is the God of all the nations and his purpose, his heart is to gather all the nations, all the peoples to himself, that they would come to know his son, Jesus Christ, that they would find their greatest joy 
in Jesus Christ. Look there again at verse four. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. That's God's heart for the nations. And that's the heart of the psalmist as he comes out of worshiping with God's people. That's the perspective he comes out of worship with. God, I've got your heart for the nations, for all the nations. The heart of true worshipers connects our covenant renewing worship here with the mission of God throughout the whole earth. So we've come together to think about God as our God, our covenant God who loves us. He's not a distant creator God, he's our personal God who loves us, his people, we're the sheep of his pasture. That's our covenant renewing as we remember here his covenant with us and we're gonna do that in just a few moments time when we celebrate the sign of the new covenant, communion, and remember what Christ has done for us that he so, as we sang in that song, so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have eternal life. The heart of true worshipers connects that covenant renewing worship here with the mission of God throughout the whole earth. We have to, go, we have to come from the, the table of the Lord and say, yes, amen. I'm, doing, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying the blessings of fellowship with God, but it's not just about that. It's not just about enjoying fellowship together around the table of the Lord, but rather it's saying God is the God of all the nations. It's about all the nations coming to know him and sitting together at his table with his son, Jesus Christ. So Psalm 67 reveals God's heart for the nations and the prayer of the psalmist is being fulfilled even in our day. Why is that so? Why is that prayer being fulfilled even in our day? because God is shaping his people even today, even now, even this Sunday, not only here, but in congregations around the world. God is shaping his people through true worship to share his heart for the nations. And it's glorious. So worship-shaped world, God-shaped hearts. Finally, harvest-shaped blessings. Verses six and seven, harvest-shaped blessings. You recognize from my point titles tonight that I tried to do some plays on words there. I hope that you enjoy that. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Okay, so we've seen worship-shaped world and God-shaped hearts. What, you may ask, does the land yielding its harvest have to do with worship, blessing, and God's mission for the whole world? I think that's a good question. And I admit didn't really stick out to me at first either. But I found John Calvin helpful in his commentary on this psalm. He writes this, he says this, quote, it's to be remembered here that every blessing which God gave to his ancient people, the Jewish people, was, as it were, a light held out before the eyes of the world to attract the attention of the nations to God. End quote, that's what John, John Calvin wrote. In other words, yes, God should bless his people by shaping us through worship. That is such a blessing to be shaped by the living God through worship that I share his heart as I'm blessed and leave this place. That is a, 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 an amazing blessing. But God should also bless us in the sense that other nations and peoples would see the love that God has for us, his people, and therefore come to him. That is a picture in the Old Testament. 
It's, uh, for example, if you, if you read in parts of Deuteronomy, it says that the Lord will bless you when you're in that promised land and the other nations will see that the Lord has blessed you and they will come up to the house of the Lord to worship him. So that, that, that is one way of understanding this last text. But I think perhaps it's better to understand it another way. Land, the word land there in verse six can also be translated earth. In fact, if you read the ESV, which I know some people do here at Church at Five, it says earth in your ESV translation. And there's a word play going on here. Uh, Using the image of an abundant harvest, you think about that, fields full of wheat, fields full of corn, apples, apple trees just drooping under the weight, cherry trees similar. Using the image of an abundant harvest, the psalmist is saying, as we pray this prayer, as we pray the prayer of verses three through five, as we let God shape our hearts so that we desire what he desires, then the earth will yield the spiritual harvest of all the nations coming to Christ. So as we pray this prayer, as we share God's heart for the nations, and we receive God's heart for the nations by being transformed by worshiping God as true worshipers, as we do that, the earth will yield the spiritual harvest of all the nations coming to Christ. And obviously that will happen, again, not in some mystical way, but as we are transformed here, as individual people here are transformed through worship, they will receive a calling from God to go to the nations. The Lord will call the workers for the harvest. It's the picture Jesus uses. He says the harvest is is great, so pray that the Lord would send workers into the fields in order to bring the harvest in. Jesus says at another, another point that the fields are ripe and ready for the harvest. The nations are ready to be brought in to the worship, the true worship of the true God. So that's, I think, a, a satisfactory way of understanding these last few verses. The psalmist is saying, as we pray this prayer, the earth will yield the spiritual harvest of all the nations coming to Christ. And that is God's ultimate blessing on us as his people. Just that's, a, that's the last thought I want to leave you with tonight. That is God's ultimate blessing on us, his people. Israel were called to be a light to the nations that they might recognize the true God. So the, ble- the greatest blessing that could have come on Israel was for the nations to recognize the true God and come to him. Israel failed. Only one was faithful. His name was Jesus Christ, the faithful Israelite. But God's ultimate blessing on Jesus Christ is that all of the nations will come to him. They will be his inheritance. And so may God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will come to worship him. I wanna conclude now. We're gonna go straight into communion. But let me just um, finish this this little series here by maybe asking you the question, um, how do you know if you're a true worshiper? And I wanna ask this question in an encouraging way and not in a way of you have to tick all these boxes, otherwise you're out, but in a sense of let's together, let's, let's together ask the Lord to be gracious and merciful and bless us and make us into a community of true worshipers. So how do you know if you're a true worshiper? Looking back to Psalm 15, you're a true worshiper if when you come into the presence of the Lord, you do so confidently with your faith in Jesus Christ, 
resting in him, knowing that it's because of his making you holy that you can enter into the holy of holies. How do you know if you're a true worshiper? Looking back to Psalm 100. You are a true worshiper if your heart is filled with joy as you come into the presence of the Lord, that you worship the Lord with gladness, that you honor him, and that your heart is full of gratitude for all the manifest and many good things he's bestowed upon you. And finally, how do you know if you're a true worshiper? Psalm 67. If, as you are blessed to leave this place, Sunday for Sunday, week by week, year by year, you, and again, I know that sometimes you might be heading out the door feeling hungry, or you want a cold drink, or you're looking forward to a football match, so I I get that. I'm not trying to set a standard here that can never be reached. But a true worshiper is someone who in some sense is blessed to leave this place so transformed by worship and so full of the love of God that they say, I have God's heart for the nations. I want to see true worship spread to the ends of the earth. Amen. Well, in a moment, we're gonna take communion. We're gonna remember that our covenant God and then we're gonna have the opportunity to send someone off with just this heart and just this mission. But let me pray for us before we do so. So our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are our good Father. You have created us and designed us the way we are, that you've designed us with a a God-shaped hole in our hearts, that we are created for fellowship with you, for relationship with you, and that our hearts are restless until they find their peace in you, That that we are designed as people to glorify, to worship, and that we are restless until we rest our hearts in you, until we glorify you, until we worship you with our lives. And I pray through the power of your Son, Jesus Christ, that you would make us more and more a community of true worshipers here. We pray that our worship here to you would be pleasing. We pray that it would be honoring to you. We pray that, it, that, you, would, um, that you would delight in the worship of your church here at Calvary Freiburg, at Church at Five here in this sanctuary, in this place, in your house. And we pray that you would Yeah, touch each of us tonight, where we need to be um, touched by you, whether that's to remind us of of deep truths that we might have forgotten, whether that's to encourage us to open our hearts up again and move on from maybe bitterness or disappointment, whether that's to reawaken our senses to to the true joy which is to be found at your right hand. We pray that you would um, move amongst us here as your people this evening. And we pray that... We ask you, we, we invite you to be transforming us as we contemplate the, your glory in the face of Jesus Christ Sunday by Sunday. We pray that you would be transforming us into a community of true worshipers. We pray that you do so now, even as we follow your instructions and your invitation to gather around your table and expect for you to feed us and nourish us as we celebrate communion. Amen.